Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 75 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we are joined by a very special guest. Um, you may know him. He is the Atlanta United play-by-play commentator for Fox Sports South, uh, Kevin Egan. Super fun guy. Um, absolute, absolutely fun interview we had with him. A great conversation just about his life, um, his journey to becoming the play-by-play announcer for Atlanta United, um, his time covering some El Clasico matches. So please um, stick around for the interview to hear some of his great stories that he had to tell. Um, but yeah, such a great person. <laughs> He's absolutely top lad. One of the nicest people I've ever talked to in my entire life. It's mm. it's unreal. And we also wanted to give some shout outs to our fans for submitting some questions for this interview that went through. So we have Quentin, Burke, Luke, and Twitter user Chairman Story. Yes. Thank you guys so much for those questions. They really helped um, in terms of contributing to having being like contributing to this to being a really good interview um, with Kevin. So we really do appreciate the support there. But yeah, um, please enjoy the interview. Well, thank you, Kevin, for joining us, especially on your birthday. So we want to wish you a happy birthday. It's kind of a historic um, scene on the premiere pod because this is the first time um, we are recording an episode on someone's birthday. So you are making history. (laughs) What a pleasure. Yash, Tyler, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, so we can go ahead and jump right into the question. So um, you grew up in Dublin, Ireland, and obviously this is the Premier Pod, a Premier League podcast. We wanted to know, did you grow up supporting or watching a Premier League team in your youth? Obsessed. Absolutely obsessed. <laughs> Any guesses as to who my team was or is? Ooh. All right, I'll give you a clue. There was, There were several... Irish players playing for this Premier League team back in the mid-90s. It's a tough one. I don't really expect you to get it. Um, Let's just say I was anti-Man United and anti-Liverpool when I was a kid. It was just one of those situations where everybody in school in Ireland either supports Man United or Liverpool, and I didn't have an interest (laughs) in either. And then we had one of my favorite players of all time, especially growing up, was Paul McGrath. And he was an outstanding defender, and he played for Aston Villa. And then Ray Houghton played for Aston Villa and Andy Townsend and Steve Staunton. And there was just this beautiful Irish connection. And then there became this American connection to Aston Villa as well. So they naturally became my team. Although my mom claims that I said to her once that I supported Sheffield Wednesday on Wednesdays. I just don't really remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Just on Wednesdays. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely interesting because if you you didn't know, I'm actually a Manchester United fan and Tyler's a Liverpool fan. So (laughs) it's definitely... um, Hearing your story is definitely interesting. Aston Villa, wow. Did not expect that. Yeah, rough season this year, guys. And now <laughs> yeah. all the debate about what's going to happen with the Premier League and how it's going to play out. Obviously, Villa fans are experiencing a bit of squeaky bum time because currently 19th <laughs> in the Premier League in the relegation zone. And they have a game in hand, actually, on the other Premier League teams. So uh, in that area, you know, there's four teams on 27 points. Villa mm-hmm. on 25. You win that game in hand, you're out of the drop zone. But... For now, it's a case of sitting back and waiting for, for the league to decide how they're going to do it. Yeah, that's tough. And especially with like Jack Grealish, like all the accounts have him like linked to Manchester United and another move away. But I would say a bright spot, um, Indiana uh, Vasilev, I believe, yeah, Vasilev, uh, young yeah. American. So that's pretty cool to see breaking through in the Premier League. Who, who's um, the Man United fan out of the two of you guys, by the way? Uh, Yush, that's me yeah. right here. Would you like to be <laughs> Grealish at Man United? I think... 
you know, that's a good question. I think I would because I think he'll offer. All right, so this is this is a little bit tricky because before Bruno Fernandez came in, I would I would say yes, but since Bruno Fernandez has come in, he's kind of occupied that you know that main playmaker spot, and I feel like Jack Grealish, um, you know, what's made him so successful is being that main playmaker, and I don't really see him being very successful just being deployed out in the wing. Um, so in that sense, I don't know. Um, I prefer them. Obviously, a dream signing would be to get someone like Jaden Sancho, but you know, that's going to be very tough because I think since we kind of solved the midfield a little bit with Bruno Fernandes, I would prefer them to prioritize a winger. But I mean, I wouldn't mind Jack Grealish. I think depth is always really important. (laughs) Yeah, it's expensive depth though, isn't it? Because once you're an English player like Grealish and you've got extreme marketability, he's a good looking guy. He's controversial (laughs) at times, that's for sure. And and look what he did Mm -hmm. during the coronavirus, heading out, breaching um, government rules and, and heading to a party and then driving drunk and crashing his car like stupid stupid stuff and he mm-hmm. uh, he can find himself in a bit of hot water but I think he's a good fella deep down I really think he is he's just stupid he's foolish and he needs to make sure I mean this in the nicest possible way he's one of these guys and I'm sure we all have we all have friends sorry my sister's FaceTiming me here one second <laughs> Julie I'm in the middle of a podcast with Yash and Tyler can I call you back I'll, 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 I'll call you back just on air here <laughs> hey guys, bye bye. Call you back in a few minutes. Ah, uh, thanks guys. Lo- Love you. Talk to you in a little bit. Bye bye. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, <good. laughs> so I think Grealish is a character that is very likable within the the dressing room. All the reports are from from Villa that he's he's a you know he's a captain for a reason too. He's he is a leader. However, he's easily led astray, and he's the type of guy. Some footballers. I had a great chat with Christian Vieira yesterday, Bobo Vieira, and I asked him about a time in his life when, you know, he was twenty one years of age, and he's this. Sorry to go off on a tangent here, but Vieri is. Do you know Christian Vieri, Italian legend, mm-hmm. uh, top scoring Italian at the World Cup ever. And he uh, was the most expensive player in the world heading into this new millennium, new century. And and he, he's just a really good guy. And I got to work with him at B in Sports in Miami. And I'm catching up with him yesterday. And I asked him about the time when he was 21 and he was going from Serie B team to Serie B team. And he was watching at the time the World Cup and Roberto Baggio was leading the line for Italy. Four years later, Christian Vieri was the second top scorer at that World Cup, partnering Roberto Baggio up front. And I asked him about being that age at a young age and, and, and influences around you. And often for us watching games, it's so easy to judge players and to say, oh, what a dope, what an idiot, what, you know, this, that and the other. But you don't know what that player's surroundings are like. And I think Grealish is the type of guy who just needs to have smart people around him. And oftentimes, I don't know if you saw an interview recently with Robin Van Persie and Jay Comfrey, he's he's a sports journalist and host in England. And Van Persie said he had to drop, literally drop some of his best friends when they were younger because he found that they were always wanting something from him. He, they never gave anything back. And also, they were just a bad influence. Like, he, he wasn't focused on his game when he was around them. And he had other friends that would encourage him. And, you know, if there were temptations to go out one night, his other friends would be like, no, you've got a game, but you've got to focus. So I think when you have a situation when you're near the very top, like Grealish is, and he's not quite at the very, very top. He can be an England international if he really wants. You've got to surround yourself with positive influences in every walk of your life because it's so important otherwise you can veer to the right or left and make a big mistake like we've seen him do recently otherwise though to go back on your point about bruno fernandez 
I, I tend to disagree with a lot of Man United fans that think he's the playmaker. I think he can be, but Bruno Fernandes is, I think he's, he's and he, he has been for sporting for so many years, a box-to-box player. And he's much more of a Kevin De Bruyne than he would be a David Silva. And I think mm. he, he's the type of guy who can go box-to-box for Man United. He's going to put in an absolute shift every week. And the, the United fans love him already. And I, I did a show, I remember last July, with Charlie Davies, and, and it was Bruno Fernandes and uh, Sporting were playing against Liverpool in a preseason tournament. You may remember this, Tyler. And it was, mm-hmm. in, it, was in, uh, it was in New York. And all the hype was about Liverpool, obviously. It was on Turner Sports, and we were working at Turner that day. And I, I was talking to Charlie beforehand, and my, my buddy Eric is a huge sporting fan, and he's been banging on about Bruno Fernandes for the last four or five years, um, even during his time in Italy. And I said to Charlie, we have to watch Bruno Fernandes. And after the game, Charlie was like, listen, this guy is the business. Bruno Fernandes <laughs> is the business. And how teams didn't snap him up earlier is beyond me. But I think he's, he's definitely more of a De Bruyne, more of an eight. Um, and I do think you could maybe fit a Grealish in further forward, you know, in behind a Marcus Rashford and allow him try and pull the strings from there. No, I, I think that's very, very good points. I, you know, I, I've always thought about, you know, the, the, you know, the people you surround yourself, even with like, you know, just our normal lives in general, like if you surround yourself with bad influences, like eventually those bad influences will overcome you. So I think that's a pretty good perspective to have, especially with these younger players, because we just, like you said, we just don't know what's going on. We only see what we see on TV, you know? So that's, Mm -hmm. I think that's a very good perspective to have. Um, But kind of moving into like your time in, you know, covering, you know, stuff with BN and then like going to Spain and covering like El Clasico, you know, how was that? Like, was there a, is there one moment you kind of remember covering the El Clasico, such a historic rivalry with two of like these mega clubs, Real Madrid and Barcelona? Oh man, the hairs are standing up in the back of my neck when you even say that. <laughs> the first time I covered El Clasico was two, uh, April 2016. And Barcelona had the MSN, Messi, uh, Suarez and Neymar. Real Madrid had the BBC, Bale, Benzema and Cristiano. And the, the title looked to be in Barcelona's control. Real Madrid had a slight chance. Real Madrid were trailing, PK scored in the first half, second half. Bale and Cristiano, or Benzema, excuse me, and Cristiano scored the winner in the 87th minute and Ramos was sent off before that. It had everything. The game had absolutely everything. And I'll never forget before that match, there was a tribute for Johan Cruyff who had died that week. And Cruyff, obviously, a major influence on the Blagrana and throughout Catalonia, even though he's Dutch. And I remember looking behind me as the Cruyff banners went up and as the players came out. And guys, close your eyes and imagine this. Messi... Ronaldo, the best players in the world, all walking out like gladiators into this cathedral of football. And the opera is playing. And this is what the, the way it is in Spain. Like the Spanish opera is playing. It's not like, you know, um, Franz Ferdinand or something. It's the Spanish opera. And Real Madrid have their song, Hala Madrid. You have uh, Barcelona have their song. And they're coming out into the Camp Nou. And I remember looking around and all the banners around me were about Johan Cruyff. And there were these four men that must have been in their 80s, locked in arms, and they were crying like you wouldn't believe. They were mourning the death of Johan Cruyff. And I just thought, football is everything. Everything here. Everything. Like, the front pages of every newspaper is the game. Is the game. Like, it's just so hard to believe. Like, I would, I don't don't speak Spanish, but I would try and (laughs) decipher what it means, and I would get all the newspapers just to try and understand. And I'd try and translate certain things via Google, and I'd, I'd, um, 
you know, obviously Marca and Ass and these other outlets over in Spain have English websites too. So you can go on and, and get the English version. But that moment when I saw those four older men crying was just something special. It was, it was heart-wrenching, but it was also beautiful because Johan Cruyff changed the path of Barcelona and the current mold, or certainly the mold at that time under Luis Enrique, and there was still, you saw Iniesta playing that day and Messi, and it was just so special to see that moment. And especially with the opera playing and the moment when they walked out onto the field, it genuinely did feel like I went back in time. Wow. <laughs> Why? <laughs> that's uh that's that's pretty cool that's very cool especially like tyler and i like huge soccer fans so like actually seeing someone that got to witness that i mean that's very that's very very cool i actually had the closest seat to zinedine zidane that day so wow. all, my, all my friends i don't know how this played out that way but we being sports we were the national um broadcaster for the united states but also the international broadcaster a lot of the the um you know being sports isn't that big here in the US, but around the world, it's huge with Africa, Asia, you go to Australia, being sports is the biggest sport, uh, sport, soccer in particular channel over there. So for whatever reason, we got lucky and we had the, the closest seats to Zidane and my Spanish speaking producer, Marco Miranda was translating everything for me that, um, <laughs> that, w- that was being said to Zidane and that was being said to Luis Enrique. And you just see when you're at the game, obviously you guys know it with Mercedes-Benz Stadium and Atlanta United, when you're at the game, you've got such a better perspective of what's going on. You're able to watch the game without looking at the ball. And that's when you notice pure genius in my mind, is when you watch a player who's able to naturally create space for himself. You don't often see that on TV. It depends how wide camera one is. But it's just such a glorious experience. And to be there at field level, you know the one player that really stood out to me that day? Uh, and and I, I, I don't usually pick him out, but he was like a thoroughbred racehorse. It was Gareth Bale at full pace, back in wow. 2016 he's a little bit older now full <laughs> pace running past me he was only like a meter and a half two meters away from me running past Jeez. at full speed and you're just thinking wow he's a specimen <laughs> gareth Bale gives me uh, ptsd <laughs> champions league final <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but the the way you describe all these situations and your experience with el Clasico is just literally it makes my own hairs stand it's like i'm buzzing it's it happened years years ago it's like oh man your storytelling ability is like crazy (laughs) no i don't know about that i think it should be a lot better and hopefully i'll keep improving on it but it's it's a big part of obviously what we do and what you guys do too is 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 telling stories and that's what we do in commentary and hosting shows and we've got to try and be and and podcast hosts and you guys will go on i'm sure and have wonderful careers in the industry and it's uh it's a big part of what we do is trying to tell stories and it's trying to paint the picture and i tell you guys if you get a chance to go to spain it doesn't matter and here's the thing if you can go to a game in the basque country i'd nearly recommend that even more go to san sebastian and go see real sociedad or go to see uh athletic bilbao and and, and go and watch them play and, and see how crazy the fans are for sevilla and real betis sevilla and real betis is probably the most underrated rivalry in world football i just think spain has something majestic about the atmosphere and the food beforehand the the opera like i said in, inside the stadium it's a wonderful place to go watch football hmm. oh <laughs> yeah that's actually you- funny because like we had another friend on the podcast recently tell us it's like oh we got to go to a sevilla game <laughs> yeah. and now it's like we're hearing it from kevin himself it's like all right now, now we definitely have to go yes <laughs> sevilla is somewhere i'd love to go to seville i'd love to see sevilla betis is on the the bucket list Mm-hmm. and yeah like kind of going to the just the whole story behind just 
talking about games and just covering games, these kind of like just skills and just abilities that we have as podcasters and commentators is when you're commenting on a game, you're basically kind of telling the whole story of what's going on as it goes on um, in real time. But I always wondered in your position now as a commentator for LA United and, you know, in other kind of games, is there anything that you have prepared for when games are just not when not much is really happening when it's kind of like a dead game or really sloppy game because i also saw in like another interview you had like you only basically say about 10 percent of everything that you that you have prepared so do you have anything just ready for those kind of situations where it's like mm, i'm gonna have to pull something out of my back pocket for this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah t- tyler it's a great point and there are so many times in games i'll give you an example the the chicago fire game last year in Bridgeview and Atlanta United 5-0 down at halftime. 5-0. Think about that. LGP gets sent off. Gargan and I are in the booth looking at each other saying, what are we going to talk about now? Because at the end of the day, you know, we, we want to be somewhat neutral, but we're still club broadcasters. We're still broadcasting for the Atlanta region for Atlanta United. So we're, we, we, we are, are, in a sense, homers, but I never want to come across like a homer on air. I, I, I hate when commentators, there's some commentators in the league that would refer to the players by their first names, and I just, <laughs> I, I just can't, I can't do that. Um, whatever, it's their prerogative. It's just, I just, it's not for me. So mm-hmm. there are times, Gargan and I will talk all week long, and I think one of the biggest keys to anything you do in broadcasting is chemistry and understanding the person and the people you're working with. And we'll have chats on the phone. I will wreck his head. I'm a caller. I'm not a texter. So if he texts me, like my wife always gives out to me about this because someone will text me and I'll call them back. And Meg is always saying to me, Kev, you can't do that. Like People have lives. Like they're texting you for a reason. <laughs> and there, there's people going to be listening to this podcast going, yep, yep, your wife's right. That's really annoying. And, and it is, I'm sure. So most of the time he'll answer and we'll, we'll end up talking about the game. And there could be something on my mind. Like, you know, I think, I think that last season the alba needs to be played here and what did you think of when nagby receives the ball in this area and space for and, and gargan and i'll just get into these conversations so then naturally when something comes up in a game he's going to know where my head's at i'm going to know where his head, his head is at now there are other things that you can prepare as a tandem we'll have notes we'll like we'll have an a4 sheet and we'll have maybe 12 or 14 talkers so if there's a lull at any point or if there's something that he feels he really wants to squeeze in in the game, I'll just try and tee him up without asking him a question. I think sometimes in a game, it's important that commentators don't make it a Q&A. Like they, a commentator can just mention something and the analyst knows where they're going. Or I can give something a mention and point at the sheet and Dan is going to know, okay, that's my cue to, to tee up this talking point. Um, but, but oftentimes... There's just a bit of a lull in a game. And, and quite frankly, that's okay because we're there to try and help and complement the broadcast in any way possible. The players do all the business. They're the ones that are out there playing. And for you guys at home watching, you don't need commentators talking over absolutely everything. If the ball is in the middle of the field and there's a chance to lay out as a commentator and let the 17s take over in the crowd if, if they're doing some chants that are, are so infectious, of course, let don't talk over that. There's no need. Yeah, um, I I do agree with that because like um, I went through like the University of Georgia journalism school and we definitely were taught to you know kind of communicate and have built a, like a connection and partnership. But um, with the broadcasters I've kind of you know listened on to and that have gave advice to all of us, you know, there's been like a difference in terms of like 
okay, some broadcasters love to like describe the moment while some others, like if there's a big moment going on, let's say, for example, Atlanta United clinched like a game winning goal to, you know, win the MLS cup. And, you know, some broadcasters like to take the step back and just let the crowd and let the raw emotion take mm-hmm. control. Where have you, are, are you kind of like in the middle where you like commentating a little bit and describing the moment? Are you one of those that just likes to take the foot off the pedal and just let the crowd and let the emotion take over? I, I think it's an outstanding, honestly, an outstanding question, Yash. And, and I'm, I'm somewhere in between. And to give it more context, I'll say it depends where the game is at. Let's say, for example, it happens in Bridgeview. I mentioned Chicago Fire in Bridgeview and there's no one at the game. And Atlanta United create history. Now you've got to paint the picture an awful lot more because there's no one at the game. There's nothing for the director to really cut camera shots with. So you've got to you've got to have a smell for the game, have a smell for the moment, and understand where you're at. If I'm at Mercedes-Benz Stadium and Joseph Martinez creates history or the team win a major trophy, I'm going to get out of that moment as quick as possible and run away from it because I'm going to I'm going to not run away from it I shouldn't say that but I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to have a line a line a quick line it may be 3 4 5 6 7 words or whatever else and then I'm going to lay out because there's nothing more special than when the Atlanta United fans take over inside that stadium it's absolutely brilliant and I don't think any commentator in that stadium should make it about themselves you know there, mm-hmm. there's some famous lines in history and and wonderful commentaries of commentators, you know, losing themselves in moments, which is beautiful at times. Um, and there's great moments where Peter Drury, for example, if you listen to his goal call mm-hmm. when Roma beat Barcelona. Yes. Oh, the yeah. Manal- legendary. Manalus going call. It is. It's, it's, it's legendary. But I, I'm not capable of doing that. I don't have a Peter Drury-esque moment like that in me. At least I don't think I do. I'm, I'm just being honest <laughs> with you guys. He is such a poet. You know, for me... We all have different styles as commentators and as radio hosts, bloggers, podcasters, TV hosts, whatever you may be, it's so important to be true to yourself and and understand what you are and work on what you are and work on yourself rather than trying to be uh, a John Champion, a Max Bredos, a Peter Drury, um, a John Strong. You, You figure out who you are and go after your own strengths. And that's not me. I would rather, I had the, the, the goal call, um, for Joseph Martinez for his, the leveler and I, I quite enjoyed that call because I just simply said you know Martinez and then a 27 <laughs> goal uh, record the Venezuelan has it and then it was a case of laying out and at that moment it's about not ruining it it's Joseph's moment the fans are going to go nuts the director has a field day with all the different camera shots and it's just fun at that point and and I think it's about complimenting the moment and making sure you don't step in the way hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is so cool to hear because, like, since you're the like commentator for so long with Atlanta United, just it's it's kind of weird to think that you're the voice I've heard just for like hours now. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> just hearing from your perspective about how you think about all this, which is crazy. And- it's really hard, honestly, Tyler. It, it, it's it's difficult. It I can't tell you how hard it is. Sometimes when a goal goes in and you're thinking, and you might just in the in a split second say, "No, don't say that." Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to you've got to get it right. You know, you you don't get this back. So if you, if you pre-tape a show, you can always decide to. You know, I did an intro for a piece I was doing yesterday. I recorded it about thirty-five times because I wanted it to be perfect. Mm, yeah. 
And I hated it every time I kept thinking. And even though I'd say the first time it was absolutely fine, usually it would be absolutely fine. The fact that I could record it again meant that I did it again and again and again. Whereas with a goal call, when you're live and everybody's watching, that's it. That's it. If you make a mistake, it's gone to Mars. You're never going to get it back. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's about getting it right and keeping it simple. Don't try and overcomplicate things. So we had uh, a last question before we had some questions from our fans, but this kind of goes in tandem with what we've been talking about. And it's so you've been the Atlanta United commentator for, you know, the past few seasons. And it's basically like a dream goal, at least for me and pretty sure for Yush too, just to have commentary or just be able to talk about soccer just as your job. Is there another goal that you think that you have in mind beyond that from where you stand now because for now it's like for from my perspective it's like oh he's he's made it but is there anything that's um, above that in your in your head i yeah my like absolutely my my wife uh, will often give out to me because i just sometimes have sleepless nights or i sometimes wake up at like three four five a.m because my mind is racing because i think about a job or i think about um, certain opportunities or certain ideas for for shows and I just I adore the industry I absolutely love it and I mean it sincerely for, since the first day I got a chance to work on the Olympics in 2004 making tea and coffee um, back in Ireland I remember the the red light coming on in the studios and me having to carefully tiptoe in with the tea and coffee for the hosts and the analysts and that from that moment as a, as a 19 year old I was just obsessed and I, I still have that feeling so for me to ever think I turned 35 today that I've, I certainly have not made it. Not a chance in my, in my mind, you know, it's like I'd imagine footballers are the same. There's no footballer will, will be content where they're at. You know, if they score 35 goals in a season, they're going to want to go even better the following year. And that's what makes maybe, you know, Messi and Ronaldo and Zlatan and the likes of these guys that have such longevity and consistency in their career. What makes them so great. And I, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying I'm great, but I, aspire to uh to be great and and to try and have a career in this industry for a very long time it's an extremely fickle industry it's an extremely insecure industry there's an awful lot of pitfalls there's an awful lot of things that people don't speak about because naturally they're insecure because there's only one atlanta united job for example there's only one atlanta united mm -hmm. tv play-by-play -play job therefore with that comes pressure you have to perform you have to be I think you have to be likable. You have to get along with people. You have to want to work with the production staff and everybody involved. And with that comes pressure. So people don't want to talk about the hardships or the difficult times. I would say that 95% of people that go into this industry all in don't end up getting a career out of it. And it's mm -hmm. so hard to think about that. And it just separates the ones that really, really, really want it and live and breathe for it. Um, like, like Jill Sakovitz, for example. Jill is such a hustler. She really, really is. Jill is always thinking about opportunities, thinking about, you know, I need to have a chat with this person, that person. She's just a go-getter. And I admire her for that so much. She's, she's, she works so hard uh, at getting better all the time. And what I'd like to think about, you know, especially Dan, Dan comes at it from a different angle. Dan runs a soccer uh, school for 5,000 kids in St. Louis. He is really into broadcasting. and He takes the job so seriously, but he comes from the playing side and he's also got a different job. So he's the analyst. He's focusing on soccer only. Whereas Jill and I, for example, are obsessed with the industry and the way the show is pieced together. And we're looking at it like nearly like architects uh, of how we piece together this show and how we're going to make it look good. 
and we do that with our producer Eric Kendall, director Tom Hewitt, and and we've got a good team. Um, but I, I, I absolutely, uh, I'm with you guys. You're never settling. Um, I, I want to do this Atlanta United job forever. Don't get me wrong, but I also want other jobs. And the the relationship I have with Atlanta United is a freelance one, so I can I can do this. And and I've I've also signed a contract with CNN, and I'm doing stuff with um with some other companies like Turner Sports and with MLS. And I've, I'm doing some esports as well. So I want to try and get out there. I want to be as busy as possible. I'm, I'm happiest when I'm working and when I'm busy. Uh, so that's why quarantine's probably been a bit <laughs> tough, but at least I'm with my wife and my son and we're having fun. But there, of course, I want to host the Champions League. I want to, to, you know, to commentate on the biggest games. I'd be lying to you if I said I, wa- I wasn't thinking that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's always a good, good philosophy to have. Just always to like move forward and think forward. Um, but yeah, that, that was very insightful. But here's why, yeah, just one quick thing. Here's why. Yeah. Because once you settle and once you sit still, that's when you become mm-hmm. stagnant. You've got to yes. always have your tail up. You've got, you've got to always think, all right, next. Like they, they always say dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I love the job I have. I don't mean it that way. But the reason there's a saying like that is because you have to stay in your toes at all times. And you, you've always got to be good to people. And there's people in this industry that forget that very quickly and that can be quick are quick to be rude to people or they think they're something that they're not. We're nobodies. We're absolutely nobodies. We're tiny little ants on this earth that are, are you know, look at the size of the, the, the planet that we're on and the universe mm-hmm. that we're in. We, we are so unbelievably insignificant. It's laughable. And yet sometimes people think they're something and they develop an ego. It shouldn't happen, especially in a, in a fun industry like we're in right now, talking about football. So it, we're mm-hmm. very lucky to be doing what we do. And uh, I just hope I can stay in this industry for a long time to come. Yes, yes. Um, especially with that work ethic, like I'm hoping the best too. Um, but quickly moving on to some questions from the fans. Um, question from Quentin is, what do you think is the best goal Joseph Martinez has ever scored for Atlanta United? Oh, man, the best goal Joseph ever <laughs> scored for Atlanta United. Okay, quickly scanning each season, 2017. 2017. <laughs> uh, okay, so best goal. The one that comes to mind straight away, obviously goal of the year from last year, uh, Cincinnati, when he, he, he takes it. The thing about last year's goal against Cincinnati was, watch it back, it's a first-time pass from Julian Gressel after Tito Vialba had put pressure on the ball Forces a turnover. Gressel plays a first-time volley into the path of Martinez, but he's got a defender right beside him, and he cushions the ball with the outside of his foot in the air. So that first touch was unbelievable. Then he separates himself, fakes a shot, takes it back onto his left foot, bends it. Um, He fakes twice, actually, and bends it into close to the top corner. So that was a phenomenal goal in terms of the technical side of the game. The other goal, which I love, 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 love from Joseph, is away against Portland. I believe that was last season as well. When Gressel plays, again, Gressel involved with Joseph. Surprise, surprise. Unbelievable relationship. <laughs> he plays this pass that you know threads the needle through the defense. Joseph's running onto it. That telepathic relationship between those two. And Joseph tucks it into the top corner away against Portland. An unbelievable win away against Portland last year. So, I I'm probably going to go with the one against Cincinnati. Um, in saying that, though, there's others. Like the, Joseph's ability to climb in the air against New York City mm. FC. Again, it's a Gressel cross, actually. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, from the right-hand side. And, and Joseph had 
no right to get on that ball. Gressel even said it was a poor cross. And Joseph still managed to, to, to climb above a tall defender. I think it was Maxime Cheneau. And, and put it away. So, um, and obviously then you've got the you know MLS Cup rounding the keeper, tucking it away, a real opportunist. So with all four of those goals that I picked out, you see different traits that Joseph has. He's mm-hmm. a killer. He's an absolute killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, when is the statue being built for Joseph outside Mercedes-Benz? That needs to happen soon. So what's your favorite goal, by the way? Um, I definitely have to go with the Cincinnati one. I'm always a fan for like, uh, just like a good team playing goal, just like everything surrounding it. I've, I, I do admire, you know, solo effort goals. I think those are phenomenal, but when you have the whole team, you know, the pressing, the pass, the touch, the shot, I think I, I, I gravitate towards that. I would say. All right. Well, yeah, if you gravitate towards the team goal, there's one better goal than Cincinnati. And if you remember it again, I think it was last year. Yeah, it was last year. Philadelphia away. Oh my goodness. Darlington Nagby, Pitti Martinez, Joseph Martinez, that trident and that play that they, they it was Darlington to Pitti, uh, Pitti to Joseph, Joseph to Nagby, Nagby to Joseph around the keeper, tucks it in. And that mm. was just majestic. I mean, that goal for me, that's the best team goal in Atlanta United history. Uh, mm-hmm. In my mind, the best individual goal for Joseph was probably Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, those are some great goals. <laughs> so the next question, we'll go through these real quick because we don't want to keep you too long since no, no stress, it's your birthday. <laughs> so we got another question from Burke, and he asks, what is your pregame meal, if you have one? <laughs> pre-game meal? I'm not playing, Burke. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd say Gargan would be laughing his head off right now if he heard this question because he'd probably say everything. Uh, (laughs) at atlanta united at the stadium the press meal is outrageously good outrageously good i mean there's there's starters main course dessert everything they've even got an ice cream machine up there (laughs) Uh, yeah you can get yourself a nice whipped ice cream put some m&ms on there uh not that i i don't do that honestly for me before a game less less is more because i I just i like a bit of protein like I'll, i'll i'll have some chicken or some steak and uh maybe a little bit of salad I want to be, I want to, I don't want to be too full. And I certainly, here, here's a key to the commentator. You don't want to be, you know, you know, when you eat Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner, you're so <laughs> full, you nearly, you nearly have a little bit of like, you're burping a little bit. You've got a little, you don't want to yeah. have, you just don't <laughs> want to have that in any way possible. So uh, just a little bit of protein and some salad probably is the answer because I want to be able to get involved in the game and do my job properly without, without thinking about the fact that I'm full. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Keep it light. Keep it, uh, you know, just keep it light. So you got, uh, you got mobility and everything. You definitely don't want to be stuffed like better going into a broadcast. What, better question is what post game meal. Ooh, post game meal is always the one that, uh, you know, myself, <laughs> Jill, and Dan will go for for food afterwards and have a drink and have a chat and have a laugh and and dissect the game and what went right is and it, wrong. So that's is, is there a favorite spot you have uh near mercedes benz that you guys tend to go to yeah there is actually and it's it's only because jill and dan stay over by um midtown so where they mm-hmm. where they stay when they're in is uh it, it's right next to, we don't stay at the i think it's the four seasons i don't we don't stay at the four seasons at all we're not that fancy but we, <laughs> there's a bar in the four seasons and the reason we go there is it's just so it's quiet it's it's a beautiful bar and it's uh it's easy to get food and relax and you can have a chat and you can always get a, like a couch type seat. So we're not going to a packed bar or anything, you know, after a game, 
you're absolutely exhausted. You've been on it since we have a meeting at 9 a.m. day of game. Mm. So we have a meeting all together at 9 a.m. And then we don't go on air until 7 p.m. So by the time I get down to the guys, we all meet together, have breakfast. We go through the rundown, the, the script of the show. We talk about changes. We analyze everything. That's when we talk about pretty much every scenario in a way uh, in the pregame show, postgame show. And we devour the whole rundown. Then I'll go home, have some breakfast or lunch. Um, I'll keep going on my notes and, and my game day prep. Make a few phone calls if need be. I've mentioned before I'm a, I'm a big phoner. Like people that know me well and friends of mine and people in the industry know I love it. I love a good chat to talk through scenarios, game scenarios on the phone and like chat to maybe a couple of players or, or coaches. And um, then, uh, yeah, I've got to get dressed, get to the stadium. Dan and Jill probably get there a little bit after me. I like to get there really early if I can, like three and a half hours before we go on air. And uh, just so I'm in the, the booth and I can, Here, here's the crazy thing is you, you end up chatting to people and you, you want to be really polite because people are kind and they want to say hi and they want to chat. But sometimes you just have a job to do and you need, to yeah. stay, you need to stay in the moment, but it's difficult to stay in the moment while being polite if you don't want to chat to someone. And, and so that's why I'd rather get there early, say my hellos um, to, to people around the stadium and, 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 ha- and have fun, quite honestly. And still feel fully prepared. And I like to walk the field. Uh, that's another tradition that, that Gargan and I have, especially away from home. And Mercedes-Benz, we've been there so many times and the roof is closed most of the time. So the elements don't really come into it. Whereas away from home, you've you've got you know different style of grass at certain places, different temperature, how much have they watered the grass, how, how tight is the grass. You know, the, the Real Madrid uh, chief groundsman is a friend of mine. And I've talked to him about the about wow. know, being, being a groundsman, and his name is Paul, and he's a wonderful guy. And, and he's like, look, the, I got I got to meet him when I was over at a Clasico the first or second time I did Clasico, and he said the Zidane wanted me to cut the grass really really tight, and he wants me to water. He wants this pitch as fast as possible tomorrow. Wow, and you're thinking that is fascinating that you've got instructions from a coach to a groundsman <laughs> as to how you want the grass to That's play. wild. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every single situation is thought of for these big games. So that's why I, Gargan and I lo- like to walk the, the, the pitch and talk about the surface. And he'll have observations from playing. You know, that's why I love to pick his brain. Nice. And um, we have just two more questions. Obviously, we're running close to like that time. But question from Luke is, what is your favorite soccer moment while commentating and um, your favorite moment as a fan slash spectator? Um, okay, so the moment I talked about at the Classico, when the players yes. walk out, that, that for me is just a, it's an absolutely outrageously cool moment when, when you see Messi and these guys and you're watching Messi warm up, Ronaldo warm up. Ronaldo, uh, w- one year at the Bernabeu, was doing his stretches right next to me. And seeing that, like I said about Bale, he's a specimen. Ronaldo's that physical specimen as well that he look <laughs> human. Um, so that side of things, as a, as a broadcaster, to have been to big Champions League games and big uh, La Liga games was, was so special. As a broadcaster commentating, uh, let me see. I really enjoyed calling the playoff game last year. We, we usually don't get to call playoff games because it goes mm-hmm. to Fox or ESPN National. So to call Escobar's winner against New England in the playoffs 
last mm-hmm. year was really cool. But I, I mean, at every single moment at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, I find myself thinking, what if it, what if this is the last time I get to do this? Take it in. And mm-hmm. I think about that far too often. I'm probably, I probably think too much. And <laughs> I, I always think, like, this is just enjoy it. Just enjoy every single second. You've done your prep. You're ready. Just enjoy it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that. And, and as a fan, wow. Uh, as a fan, there's, there's probably several. A lot of them involve Ireland, the national team playing. Mm-hmm. You know, big Ireland national team fan. So, yeah, I think beating Italy at the Euros in 2016 when mm-hmm. Robbie Brady scored a header was absolutely epic. Uh, and going back to the days of 2002, Robbie Keane at the World Cup when Ireland drew with Germany, or you know, we're in that big game against Spain and narrowly lost on penalties. Those those are some of the best moments because I, I get to watch them with my dad. And living abroad is that's one of the biggest killers for me. Is that I'm so close to my family, as you heard from my sister calling me with her kids. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That, to be away from home and not catch these games with my dad is uh, is is tough, um, mm-hmm. and especially Gaelic football games like our sport in Ireland is called Gaelic football and hurling. And my dad was a Gaelic footballer that played for Dublin in the seventies and has several uh, All Ireland medals. So he was a wonderful player, and a chance to watch the games with him and go to the stadium with him when I'm home is is just something you can't beat. Mm-hmm. Nice. Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yes, I got the last one. Yeah, you got the last question. All right. So this one's a little out of left field, but this is one that we kind of saw that is kind of related to your personality and is that apparently you like wearing jorts. Oh, stop it. Come on, Tyler. (laughs) So our final question to you is, you know, kind of thinking on our feet and also just looking into the future. We feel like living in the South is just it, it does not match well when you have to wear a suit and tie in like 90 degree weather. It's just, yeah. it shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> and I think the next step would be to have some kind of business shorts, like jorts, something like that. Jorts. So if this was your PSA, this podcast episode was your PSA to the world for why we should have jorts be the, a norm in the business world, what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> You know, guys, can I tell you a bit of backstory on this? Kay Murray is my dear friend that I worked with her being sports. Outstanding host, now at ESPN. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was shopping in Miami one day and I went into a store and I was chatting to this guy and he was a lot cooler than I am. A lot cooler. <laughs> and, I'm chatting to him and, he, and I said, what about like jean shorts? And he looked at me and he was a lot, he was very tanned and he could get away with it. He didn't have pale white Irish skin like me. And he looks, <laughs> looks at these shorts that he would wear and he would absolutely pull off. And he's like, I think these are great, man. And I was like, well, if you think they're great, I'm going to get them because you're really cool. And I, <laughs> so I tried them on and I thought they were cool. And then I, okay, I went home and my wife was like, you didn't buy them, did you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I think they're great. And I wore them one time into work because it was like a Saturday and a casual day. I remember people were just laughing at me. So I continue <laughs> to, to rock the jorts just for the sake of it, because I really, I, I really don't care what people think. It's just one. Of, and I self-deprecating enough to, to have a laugh about it. So Kay is always bringing up the jorts and I've still got the jorts upstairs. And just for the fun of it, I will never get rid of those jorts. But my, I, I if I had to petition for a certain, t- or a certain type of short to wear, I'd probably go to Lululemon and be like, come on, come up with some sort of beautiful, <laughs> Um, material <laughs> I mean we're not going to sweat too much in Houston on a Saturday afternoon Ooh. you know in July uh, and help us out here um, 
Yeah, if we if we didn't have to wear sh- you know a full suit and tie in summertime in Texas, that'd be nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler's out here bringing like the tar- the hardball questions right here. <laughs> on yeah. the beat, but you know, um, just, before, that- just before I came on, I thought I, I thought there was a question about Newcastle. That's why before I, I came on, I started uh, looking at Newcastle. And what the yes. latest yeah, it just uh, yeah, we had a quick question from a Twitter user chairman story. Um, just a really you can answer this really quickly. You're the new owner of Newcastle United. Who is your manager and who is going to be your first signing if you're the new owner? Manager is Pochettino, if you can get him. Okay. And that's mm. if he if he wanted to go there. I do think it's a stretch. If not Pochettino, I would go all out for uh, Marcelo Gallardo from from River Plate. And see mm-hmm. if you can convince him to go across because he is that passionate character that Newcastle United fans adore. Um, mm-hmm. So that would be my coach, I think. And if you could get a player to suit the Newcastle way, the hardworking, blue collar, in your face, move out of my way, I'm going to run right over you. That sort of a player, you need a striker. You need someone who you can get. This player has about a year left on his contract, just over a year, June of 2021. If you can keep him fit, it will be winner, winner, chicken dinner, and the fans would absolutely love him. That player for me will be Diego Costa. Ooh. Ooh. Imagine Ooh. Diego Costa up front with Miguel Almiron. Oh, they would love him. Man, back in the Premier League, Diego Costa. <laughs> I think it would work. Yeah, no, I I think so too. I now that now that I think about it, I, they would definitely love someone that just would not is not afraid to get in someone's face. I would say that, and yeah, he can score a lot of goals. And yeah, more importantly, he can he can he can hold the ball up. I mean, mm-hmm. the way Newcastle play now, you need a striker who can hold the ball for you because you're defending so deep. But if you got Marcelo Gallardo or Mauricio Pochettino, I think your playing style would change drastically from Steve Bruce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I think um, with that, that's the end of our question. So we want to thank you, Kevin, so much for taking the time, especially on your birthday, uh, to come on the podcast. Hopefully we didn't keep you too long and you can uh, go back to your wife and a kid and hopefully settle on a movie and you guys can have a nice, uh, nice night in. But yeah, thank you so much, Kevin, for taking the time to come on. We really yeah, do appreciate it. it. Thank you so much for asking me, guys. Great pleasure. Keep up the great work. Really loving the show. Yeah, for Thanks, sure. Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for uh, listening to the episode. If you like what you hear, please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. Um, The ratings really do help us. It helps us become more visible to people and have our podcast um, more out there for everyone to see. But yeah, continue uh, showing that support on Twitter. Um, You know, continue commenting, um, getting that interaction. We love hearing what you guys have to say. But yeah, other than that, that kind of does it for us in this episode. Thank you guys so much. Peace. Peace.